welcome to Vitals, where we explore the most pressing topics in healthcare and data. Today, we're getting a pulse on how leaders at top healthcare organizations are using data to position their teams for success amidst increasing financial pressures and rapid digital innovation. Arcadia recently worked with HIMSS Market Insights to conduct a survey, which is available in the show notes. And in this survey, we asked executive IT technology and clinical leaders about data utilization within hospitals and health systems. We're gonna go over some of the results today while diving a bit deeper into what these insights actually mean for the future state of healthcare analytics. Joining us are Jake Hoshberg, VP of Analytics and Chief Analytics Officer here at Arcadia. Uh, hi, Jake. And Eric Gallagher, CEO of Oxner Health Network. Hey, Eric, thanks for joining us. I'm going to get the conversation started. So, Jake, Eric, thanks again for being here today. Really appreciate uh, you spending time with us. It seems like we're at a critical turning point in healthcare. Financial reform from the likes of CMS, market pressures, rapid innovations in technology are all forcing healthcare organizations to consider how they might adopt new approaches to delivering care. Given that hospitals produce 50 petabytes of data per year and a lot of that goes unused, this asset's poised to be the greatest source of opportunity going forward. Before we dive too deep into that, I just wanna take a moment to ask you all to introduce yourselves and tell us why you think putting data to work is so important for the future of our industry. So Eric, I'm gonna start with you. Yeah, thanks Mike and happy to join you and Jake today for the conversation. Um, I'll start with a little bit about Oxner, you know, give some of the context uh, uh, through which, uh, through the lens that we, we think about this. Um, so we're a health system of about 50 owned, managed and affiliated hospitals based here in New Orleans, uh, as I mentioned earlier, but really with a presence throughout all of the state of Louisiana uh, and a growing footprint in Mississippi as well. Uh, we have about 38,000 employees. We serve about a million and a half patients annually. Um, our clinically integrated network, the Auctioner Health Net Network, which I lead, um, has a presence beyond Louisiana, Mississippi, stretching into Texas and Alabama uh, with about uh, 4,000 participating providers. And we manage about 600,000 lives in value-based agreements. Uh, one of the you know, unique things I'd say about most of our markets where we are in the country uh, is that we're at, you know, 70, 75% government insurance. Uh, and, you know, of the Medicare age population, Medicare Advantage penetration, really in our biggest markets here in, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge, it's really uh, pushing 70% penetration. So kind of far exceeding the national averages when it comes to, you know, really just government and commercial breakdown and then on the Medicare Advantage side. So, you know, we kind of consider ourselves past the, the sort of proverbial tipping point that we talk about a lot in the industry and value-based care has really become a necessity for us as a health system uh, and a CIN and not, you know, not a hobby um, here. So, you know, finally, I'll note that uh, Louisiana and Mississippi, uh, unfortunately, pretty consistently rank 49th and 50th uh, in most health uh, rankings when looking at the, the, the states. And so, you know, while we know that a lot more contributes to health outcomes than the actual healthcare um, as the largest health system in the region and as the largest private employer in the state, 
we really take seriously uh, that improving outcomes in our state is is our shared responsibility. So, you know, I think to come back to your your question, um, to me, that's why putting data to work is so important. You know, we fail our healthcare professionals if we don't arm them with information that empowers them to deliver health to their patients. And ultimately, we're failing our communities if we're not using this crazy amount of data that you quoted that we have to improve their health. That's fantastic. And I, I love connecting that idea of you put data to work for the benefit of the providers that you support and the patients that they serve. Um, it's a really important distinction. We'll dig in a lot on, on that a, a little bit later in this discussion. But Jake, for now, why don't you tell us uh, why putting data to work is so important to you and why you think it's important to the future of healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, it's important to me because it's very literally my job. So I have to do it. But uh, at Arcadia, uh, I lead up the analytics function. And what we are doing is we have large teams at Arcadia that are working together to clean up data, aggregate that data, pull it into our system, make it usable. Uh, and my team actually gets to do what I think is the funnest part, which is exploring that data and trying to make it usable and bridging that gap between you know, an engineer and the data itself and a story that needs to be told. Um, so to me, working with the data is, is what I love to do and, and why I'm here. Uh, and at Arcadia, we are able and very fortunate to be able to work with a wide variety of customers, sizes and types across the country as well. And we get access to all that data and uh, get to spend time as well looking for opportunities that we can see in multiple customer environments and multiple uh, provider types, payer environments, and see what, what might be the next way to optimize that data, what might be the next intervention that is potentially worth uh, going after. Fantastic. Um, so all of that data, um, you know, is ideally housed on a data platform or as a data asset somewhere. And um, let's dig into that a little bit. Let's start with, um, you know, in the survey, uh, participants said that uh, their organizations, many organizations have already made progress on integrating various tools with those data sources, with the, the centralized data asset that they have, and with a data analytics platform. Everything from VBC models to clinical decision support tools, and to AI and ML. For those who haven't integrated some tools yet, uh, the most top of mind, top priorities are communication platforms that connect care teams and hospitals, pop health management tools, and in-network decision-making tools. So Jake, can you dig in a little bit more on that? Um, what the benefit of integrating all of these various systems, these various tools, these solutions and software onto a centralized data platform. What's the benefit of that? What does that actually empower? Yeah, absolutely. So the more you can have your data in one place, the more you can stitch the various components together. So for instance, if I have my value-based care platform and I have all my claims data in one place and I have my referral optimization platform in the same place, I can leverage those two data sources together to build out preferred provider networks and see how good I am at steering care towards those preferred provider networks without having to cross multiple systems. That same example really does hold for all these different types of tools. The more you have your data in one place, the less time you have to spend trying to grab data from system X and clean it so that you can compare it to system Y and tell a story. The other piece too is consistency. Once your data is in one place, once your data is 
combined together, you can build clear, cohesive KPIs off of that and know that your organization is looking at one source of truth uh, as opposed to multiple disagreeing sources of truth. Amazing. Eric, just playing off of that, um, that single source of truth, that idea of having this one place where you can go and you can trust that uh, information is going to be uh, usable and valuable. Uh, how, how can a data platform act as that single source of truth for the entire organization, from clinicians to analysts to executives? How do you all at Ochner use it for this purpose? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about demystifying this concept of, of value-based care. Um, in my mind, value-based care is just, just good health care. Um, but there are a lot of new, um, you know, new sort of terminology, new metrics, new data, new and, and new analytics that I think are important in value-based care. Uh, and, you know, for us, I think a, a, a turning point um, for, for Ochsner and for other health care organizations to really kind of hit that accelerator on value-based care comes when your hospital COOs and CFOs are asking about things like the, the accuracy of their coding and documentation uh, and their rates around uh, appropriate ED utilization in their facilities. So, you know, it, it is the group of, uh, of people in, in the division that I lead whose job titles all say something about population health and value-based care. They're really important and critical, but, but the rest of the system, uh, when they come along uh, and are asking those questions, I think, you know, you've sort of hit this inflection point. And so, you know, to get to that point, I think you have to do a lot, you know, two of those things that, that I'll tie back to the platform is one, there's, there's a ton of education. Um, so you have to educate a much broader audience of stakeholders on, you know, this sort of business of medicine with a value-based care lens. Uh, and, and then second, second, you know, you really, have to democratize all of these data and analytics. You know, your user base grows from dozens to hundreds to thousands, then, you know, it's not about just that value-based analytics or pop health analytics team or just your care coordination um, operators and leaders having access and understanding. It's about the whole care delivery system. And so, you know, to me, I see having that data platform as a, a huge enabler to get us to all be speaking this same language, which, you know, as I said, is sort of a new language for a lot of people. And I'll actually just piggyback on that because there's one thing there that was really important and reminded me of uh, when I used to work at a large health system, and that's buy-in from the top as well. If you're going to invest here and then you're going to build out that culture of analytics, it has to start at the top. It has to start with the CMOs, the CFOs, the CEOs, Eric, asking questions about data and wanting to wanting to understand it and recognizing that there's value in uh, having some cohesion there and a strategy. Completely, completely agree. And, you know, just one additional note, I think on, on um, your, your original question, Mike, to Jake and your answer around, you know, integrating the various tools around communication platforms, connecting care teams, population health management, you know, I think what we've discovered is that healthcare is, is really fragmented. Uh, and a lot of the um, interventions, programs, uh, and, and resources that patients need from a pop health lens um, to, to really you know, manage their total health, to be proactive, to be preventative, is about that defragmentation. And so 
you know, that that same concept kind of cascades down to the tools and, and things that you're using. So, you know, if you as a pop health organization are now suddenly standing up a lots of different resources and teams around care coordination and navigation and transitions and outreach, having a uh, those tools um, be being integrated is just as important to not create further fragmentation while you try to solve for um, that fragmentation that's in the, the larger system. Absolutely. And fragmented in the real world, the data world is gonna is gonna follow. Exactly. And Eric, you, you mentioned that um, you know your your mission is to empower the providers and the patients and you feel like it's um, you know you're a technology company by necessity. What, what does it actually mean by utilizing a data platform for the patients at the end of this process? Like what, what does that actually empower for them? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think, um, you know, a, uh, if you look at other industries where you have um, a, you know, various studies on if the workforce is really happy and engaged um, then the consumer is typically really happy, engaged, and satisfied with, you know, the, the product that they're getting. And so, you know, having um, that same kind of concept applied in the healthcare industry, empowering our workforce and, um, you know, the care teams with better data, with better analytics, with better tools, um, that's empowering. Um, and so that leads to you know better engagement with those employees and they're more satisfied because they can really um, take care of the problems that and challenges that their patients are facing and so ultimately i i i just believe that that transcends or cascades you know from um, the workforce to the patient uh, you know aside from the fact that you know the, the 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 metrics around you know no one wants to be in the emergency room or the hospital if they don't need to be. So you're preventing, you know, that unpleasant experience for patients and for families. You're you're preventing that um, avoidable cost um, in a lot of cases, and you're leading to you know healthier people and uh, and, and better lives. And under value-based care models, especially like that, frees up beds for patients who need them, and you know provides more preventative care and stuff like that. So. Um, you want to talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, sure. You know, I mean, we talk a lot about this kind of tale of two patients. Um, and I think, you know, for, for every, um, you know, lots of hospitals right now are dealing with, um, you know, labor challenges, labor shortages, resource shortages, bed shortages. And so, you know, there's that tale of two patients where there's the patient who is, is in the hospital and, you know, potentially could have been avoided or prevented through, you know, a more proactive um, care or just through better coordination um, and, and just information, you know, of, you can come up with a variety of ways that, uh, that things sort of, you know, fall through the cracks, that bed becomes available um, if you're able to do those things for, you know, the patient who was getting a preventative cancer screening and discovered, you know, at an earlier stage uh, that, you know, a tumor and has a, um, and has, you know, a procedure that's going to lead to a longer, healthier life for that person. So, um, it's, 
you know, that's critical in a value-based care environment. Certainly there are, you know, and in contracts, there are ways that through shared savings or, or capitation where, you know, that um, responsibly avoided care can, can bring value to the organization. But for all patients, right, I mean, there's, um, there's a limited use of resources. And, and, I, and so I think even if you're not a, in a value-based contract, um, when you think of it and you, and you translate that story, particularly to your um, hospital operators around um, making, you know, limited resources available for the patients that need it most, I think that that resonates. So I want to go back to this concept of trusting the data, because obviously to have those kind of outcomes, you need providers using the tools and data that, and, and, and insights that you're delivering to them. Um, but they won't if the data is untrustworthy. And then even to get that, um, you know, that buy-in from an executive level, like Jake was talking about, um, it doesn't happen if you feel like the data is untrustworthy. So going back to the HIMSS market research survey, nine in 10 agreed that quality data is critical to an organization's performance, but only a third, um, not even a third stated that, uh, or, or, I'm sorry, nearly a third stated that their organization's data is less than 70% accurate. Um, in addition to that, there's also a discrepancy between executives and leaders in IT tech and clinical roles. Executives were much more likely to report having accurate data. So people who are actually like running functions and, you know, they, they're, they're managing teams who are using the data in, uh, in ways that affect the providers, affect the patients, they're saying the data is less trustworthy. Uh, strategic leaders like CEOs, CFOs, they're saying, oh, no, it's it's more trustworthy than you think. So, um, Eric, what are steps that executives can take? You know, you're an exec executive in this position. How can you narrow that discrepancy? And why do you think it exists in the first place? Yeah, I, it, it's funny. Um, I, you know, I think first off, you, you probably see that discrepancy because you know, that impact of, or let's say the impact of even a, a 1% data error, right, on the total population, um, it might be pretty insignificant when you're looking at, you know, tens of thousands of, of patients. Um, and, and where are you coming from, too? So, you know, if you, if you, if having access to that 99% accurate data or 90% accurate data or 80% accurate data, um, is better than your prior state, which might have been having no access to um, to this data, then your results are probably going to be better um, at a population level. And so I think that's going to be um, progress and noticeable and, and probably why, um, from the executive perspective, there's a, you know, maybe a higher level of, of trust or agreement in, in the accuracy of the data. Um, you know, on the flip side, clinicians they're going to remember that one patient out of a hundred where the data was wrong or incomplete. Um, and, you know, they have a much more difficult trust pack to build certainly than, um, than I think we do from, from, you know, the executive viewpoint. So, you know, I think that potential for, you know, noise is, is impossible to eliminate. Um, but, you know, to your question about maybe how to, to, to mitigate that one would be, you know, a data platform that, as we kind of talked about earlier, we're speaking from the same language. There's lots of education around that. There's lots of democratization. You know, there's early buy-in. 
um, from all levels, as, as Jake mentioned before. Um, you know, and frankly, kind of on the, on the outside of the tech and, and data platform side, I, I see a responsibility for executives to create sort of a culture where the patient is kept at the center of everything um, you're trying to accomplish and, and, you know, continuous learning and improvement are, are part of, uh, of that culture and that's really fostered. So that helps to build trust um, and make teams feel like they can leverage new tools uh, or analytics to drive improvements in care, to drive improvements in outcomes, even if there's still a degree of error in that. I'll just jump in on top of that because I have some thoughts as well. Agree with everything you just said. And I would also just say, I think uh, there's a few different components here. One is the use case is really important. So if you're trying to use data to take an action in an automated way on a patient, that data needs to be really, really accurate. If you're trying to track a trend in ED utilization over the last three years, that data can have some wiggle room and some noise as long as the analyst putting that story together kind of understand how to, how to navigate that. So there's a level here too of you know the executive level you're probably looking at different metrics that accuracy that one percent variance is okay we're at the provider level depending on the use case it can be more important um, so one thing that that i've seen is you know making sure that whenever you're using data to solve a problem the people making those decisions really do understand what is the use case you're driving and how accurate does that data need to be we are recently developing something on our data science team and talking about you know, we're building a model that is meant to identify patients for a specific care management program. There's still a level of clinical review expected there, but we want to be really accurate. On the other hand, if we're developing a model that's meant to prioritize patients for a text campaign and various text types, the accuracy is a little bit less important. It's more about kind of optimizing the campaign. Uh, so that's one other thing that's really important in closing that gap is making sure that your use cases are aligned with the quality of your data. Because as we talked about before, healthcare data can be a little bit siloed. Also add every year, the less I look at the data, the more I trust it. So there, I think there's a level of that potentially at the uh, executive level too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, we're really fortunate to have, you know, I'm really fortunate to have a team of, uh, uh, on our data and analytics team who, um, are very, very dissatisfied with any, um, margin of error. And, you know, that makes us better, um, for, for, uh, for what we're doing, but, but certainly there's that, uh, there's that conversation that we have a lot back and forth around, okay, what are we trying to solve for? And what's the objective of this dashboard or piece of information? And, and if it's going to drive that improvement, does it have to be, you know, to your, to your point, does that use case require the same level of accuracy as, as another? Yeah. Absolutely. Important to understand how much to invest in fixing that 1% error and if it's worth it or if it's something that's okay to live with. So th this is a good place. I want to flag the idea of like getting the right people making the right decisions. We're going to talk about change management and adoption across the organization a little bit. But Jake, you just mentioned about uh, making the right investments. And that was something that the survey really dug deep on. Um, so let's talk about data utilization a little bit and, and about the investment priorities that, uh, you know, folks are, uh, putting before data and analytics. So seven in 10 in the survey, uh, they, they said that other strategic priorities just broadly get in the way of investing in analytics. And then the second most popular reason that, um, 
you know, they put investments on analytics in the back burner, were limited staff resources. Um, so those were the two most common barrier, but other challenges that prevent people from investing in analytics and data are, again, that staff resourcing, training, lack of budget, inability to integrate existing workflows, organizational resistance, and sec security concerns. Um, why should leaders from business operational and a clinical perspective uh, prioritize investments in analytics? How can they overcome some of those challenges? Uh, Jake, I want to start with you. You know, you talk with customers all day long who have already made that investment. Uh, what was their thought process? How did they come to the table and say, you know what, an investment in analytics is really important? What was the why behind that decision? Yeah, I think, you know, currently with healthcare today, at the end of the day, there's different models, but they're all mostly competitive. So if you're in a value-based agreement, often you are competing against some form of a national trend, a regional trend. Uh, even in fee-for-service, you're to an extent competing for patient volume, you're competing for, for um, negotiating power. So there's an element of almost not having a choice. If you want to keep up, if you want to be able to keep up in healthcare, you're going to need to invest in analytics. Uh, I'll also add, I think we've just moved to a point where it's, it's less of a question of should we use data, and it's more of a question of do we have the right resources to use data? I fully understand, depending on your size, too, it's... Uh, it's daunting. Rolling out a large data analytics platform is not a, a one-week process. It's not a one FTE process. So it, it, that can be daunting. But um, the main things I would say is a lot of people in the market now are just realizing they don't have much of a choice. So it's more about trying to optimize the strategy of rollout versus if you should purchase and roll out, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Eric. Mike, I just jump in there, Jake. I mean, I think you you hit it. You know, I mentioned earlier in our intro, um, our our portfolio uh, of payer and our payer mix is um, at the point now where you know we don't have an option. Um, so value based care is is here for us, and that's a big part of our economic model. And so to be successful in that, to be good at that, you know, we know we have to be really successful and really good. Um, with the data and analytics that are driving that. So couldn't agree, couldn't agree more with that. Um, I'll just add one other uh, point as well that I, I think, you know, you've seen probably a number of surveys that talk about um, the healthcare labor shortage as the biggest challenge, uh, the single biggest challenge in, you know, the healthcare industry today. And um, so, you know, I think when you think about the workforce, um, and how to prioritize it, investments in data and analytics and, and digital tools and automation. You know, think about it from the workforce perspective. So these tools, um, these insights are empowering to your workforce, which we, you know, I kind of talked about earlier. That empowerment drives engagement. That engagement drives intention or retention. And you know, an engaged and empowered and satisfied healthcare workforce yields an engaged and empowered and satisfied patient population. So, um, you know, I, I think there's the there's the financial um, reimbursement movement. Um, that's that's a big part of the of the equation there. But you know, it it really you know you can make it about your your workforce as well. And um, you know, there's no bigger priority than that right now. And I just want to remind everyone who's tuning in, please ask questions, um, Eric. 
Jake, they're wealth of wealths of information. So they're fonts of knowledge. So please ask them questions. We're going to get to those in about 15, 20 minutes here. So um, keep the questions coming and uh, get your thoughts down. Um, I, I just want to dig in a little bit more on this because I think I think about 10, 15 years ago, there's there, there was this larger market shift where everyone recognized that they have to be a technology company now. We have to use uh, technology. We have to have an app. We have to do this. We have to um, really keep up. Like it wasn't about staying ahead anymore. It was by it was keeping up. We, we're, we're transitioning to becoming a technology company so we can just reach the market that we already have. Um, do you think that's true now about data? Do you think everyone's recognizing now that we have to be a data company and we have to utilize analytics to keep up? And do you think healthcare is in that space where we're ready to, to do this, to make this transformation? Eric, I'm gonna start with you. Sure, yeah, so I I mean, yeah, I think so. I and, and, and I don't separate the two entirely. So, you know, we've talked about, we started talking a, a couple of years ago about how we were really transitioning from a health system to a system that delivers health. And so as you sort of broaden that aperture around what you think about your patients in your communities and your responsibility for um, for their health, which I think we've sort of collectively done as an organization, then it's a requirement um, for you to, to also then kind of change the paradigm through which you you um, you think about your what your company is and what your your company does. So I, I'd say definitely. I think I would probably piggyback on that in like a similar but slightly different way and just talk about I've been doing healthcare analytics for about about 10 years now, maybe 13. I actually forgot how old I was for a minute. It's about 13 years now. Uh, and there, I think there has been a shift, though, in, in the desire to use data at different organizations over that time. Uh, so I spent seven years at Stewart Healthcare Network, and originally we were working in spreadsheets, and primarily data was occasionally requested. Someone requested it, analysts spent a bunch of time digging through spreadsheets, to try and pull together a few numbers. Um, by the time I left seven years later, we wouldn't start a single initiative if we didn't have a data-driven plan for how we were gonna roll it out and understood what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, so I have seen, even in my four years at Arcadia, working with different organizations, the level of sophistication is growing. I think there's a bigger desire to use data and use it in a more sophisticated way. Uh, so that is improving in healthcare for sure. Maybe not at quite the same pace as some other industries, but healthcare due to its siloed nature and the fact that there's human beings on the ground receiving care uh, and, and like the level of decision that goes into that uh, is always gonna be a little bit different than something like uh, an Amazon or Netflix that uh, is able to fully move a little bit quicker. Fantastic. So let's, let's dig in a little bit more on change management and how we actually drive these initiatives forward for those of us who are you know, ready to take on data, ready to put it to use um, our respondents in the HIMSS market research survey, they said on average, only 57% of their uh, organization's data is being used to make decisions. And yet 29% of IT tech and clinician roles report resistance from executive leadership with adopting new solutions. 
executives at smaller organizations are even more resistant. So this is really a question about, um, you know, what can folks at all levels of an organization do to show the value of new technology to their, their leadership team? Maybe you have people who are in analyst roles or clinician roles saying, we, we really need some new tools. We need to get ahead of the curve. You know, I, I see the value in this, but I need my leadership to see the value in this. Eric, what would you say um, is the right way to argue for that, uh, that investment? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think we, we hit on some of these elements already. You know, the risk um, of failure in healthcare it, it's it's much higher than that of other industries. Um, you have razor thin margins. You know, you have patient lives on the line. So that just tends to make healthcare organizations you know somewhat risk averse. Um, and so I think that's that's where you you some of that resistance comes comes from. Um, so I think part of the the sort of vision and communication is really this paradigm shift um, that's going to be required. You know, consider to talk about the risk of not changing and not improving um, being greater than than those risks um, that that come with the change. So, you know, you you don't want to become the blockbuster in a world of Netflixes and healthcare, Amazon, Apples, et cetera. So. You know, I, I think if you can paint that picture um, to try to overcome the risk of, okay, yeah, but change is, change is hard um, and we've been doing something this way for a long time, it's more about what happens if we don't change. Um, you know, and then again, I think building, you know, that, that culture of, of learning and improvement and that psychological safety within your organization that um, everything is driving improvement, even if it's a failure. Um, and so... You know, balancing that culture, that of course, and that that um, sort of openness to failure with that obsessive focus on how everything impacts the patient is a really you know good start in my mind to that to that recipe. So it's really a matter of failing fast and experimenting so that you don't fail completely. Yeah, definitely. That's a good way to think about it. I would also jump in on the like large versus small corporation or company uh, and how they're thinking about this. If you're larger, you have you have a little more margin for error from just a cash perspective. And then on top of that, you don't need to drive as large of a change to generate that ROI and revenue back. So for instance, a 1% reduction in inpatient on a very large population is gonna generate a lot more value-based savings than on a very small population. So I think there's an element there as well of, the risk reward is a little bit different based on the size of your company. And then on top of that, some some com- customers I've worked with and prospects I've spoken with, uh, they have systems they've built and they've been built and like finely tuned for their organization for some hyper specific use cases. And the smaller you are and the closer you are to those systems, it can be hard to move away to a larger data platform where you might be able to get more scale and create more analytics and answer more use cases and questions, but you're gonna trade off a little bit of that like very precise data accuracy. And that's something that I sometimes see resistance with. And that typically is a little bit uh, more common with smaller organizations. Fantastic. So um, let's let's actually kind of take the flip side view of that. You know, everyone, all the leaders of all the functions, executives, everybody's on board and says, yeah, this is this is something we're going to invest in. 
And this is something that um, we're going to roll out across the organization. Um, for those who have achieved this kind of alignment, um, gaining adoption across the organization proves to be another challenge. So according to this survey that we, we ran, 40% report that clinician and analysts uh, resist adopting new solutions, and 42% report challenges with integrating the tools that they're rolling out with existing workflows. Maybe they have technical debt, maybe they have workflow debt, um, but they're they're struggling to uh, actually utilize the investments that they're making in data and technology. So, Jake, let's start with you. How can leaders ensure adoption across the organization? You mentioned some things earlier about, about making sure you have the right goals and things like that, but do you have anything else that you wanna share about how to get the most out of utilizing these, uh, these tools and these data assets that you're investing in? Yeah, I mean, first off, rolling out new platforms at any type of organization can be hard. So everywhere I've worked, healthcare and non-healthcare, if we wanted to roll out something new, there's people who've been doing something a certain way for a long period of time, and it's, it's hard to pivot. And I've actually been that person, so I'm not knocking that person. Uh, what I would say is that the biggest things are, one, top-down alignment that we are going to roll this out. The only way we will get value back and determine if this is the right path is to roll it out. So starting at that executive level, really making sure everyone is bought in and agreeing that uh, we have to try. Additionally, there's a level sometimes when you switch some type of platform that you're gonna actually experience inefficiency before you gain efficiency. And, and accepting that, planning for it, and buying into that is another really important piece. Uh, piece. Those are the two main things that come to mind for me. Yeah, Jake, I, I couldn't agree more um, with the concept of, of involving a really broad kind of stakeholder group. Um, can't be top down from design selection, certainly not to implementation. That's going to always lead to, to moderate at best, you know, sort of adoption rates. So, you know, I think really I, I would just echo that forming that kind of guiding coalition early on um, that involves stakeholders from top to the front lines, clinical, non-clinical, technical, non-technical, et cetera. You really do need that broad participation and, and ultimately that broad ownership uh, around what you're building and what you're changing. And, and, and then, you know, I think also too, it's just this, like the, the way you frame it, you know, it rarely are really big challenges um, solved with re resolved with, you know, really big solutions. You know, it's really usually a compilation and collection of small changes and small improvements. And so, you know, sometimes there's just this mindset and this frame that, um, you know, this thing is this shiny object that's going to fix everything and change everything. And so it, that's just a, a mismanagement, I think, of expectations from from a variety of stakeholders that, you know, if you're um, a little bit more thoughtful about in the on the front, you know, at the outset, um, you can help with some of that. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. So to dig in here a little bit, we had a few comments about engaging frontline providers, getting them using the tools, the data that's provided. Do you have any other additional advice or um, thoughts around how to get adoption kind of at point of care? How to how to make sure that the tools that, um, you know, your your system or your uh, 
your organization is investing in is getting the most mileage um, th throughout you know the organization. Yeah, I'd say I think if there's an alignment around um, incentives um, that that really helps. So you know you have to um, you have to connect the dots between using this tool, um, using the, these data and analytics to the desired outcome, and why that desired outcome is you know not not only obviously I think beneficial for the patient. Um, but for in doing it this way or doing this extra piece of work or doing whatever um, is also beneficial to the organization. Uh, but, you know, if it's beneficial to the organization and, and not the provider, then, um, you know, that's problematic as well. So I think an alignment there and kind of a cascading from the uh, incentives to the organization um, to the provider and to the patient is, is, uh, is really important. I'll just add, uh, and to piggyback on what you said, and then on top of that, saying you said earlier about current staffing challenges, there's an element to a thoughtful rollout and don't try and put too much in front of it into the point of care. Be really thoughtful about what is it that we really want people at the point of care to focus on right now? And then do everything you can behind the scenes to automate and show the provider the most important things they need to see with the smallest volume of things they need to see. So if you can do those two things effectively on top of adding incentives, uh, that really can go a long way. Yeah, great point, Jake. I think, you know, the um, the the concept of, of team uh, is really important here as well. And, you know, particularly in the primary care space, we put so much on the primary care physician. And so broadening the team and broadening the responsibility of the team uh, while empowering them with data um, and with tools, you know, really helps with that. Um, you know, and, and then simple things. We've, we've made some changes recently where in our communication to patients, instead of saying, you know, contact your primary care physician uh, if you have questions about this or that, it's contact your primary care team. So I think you need to also start to, I mean, it's a small thing, but start to, um, you know, make that shift for your patients as well, that this is a team that is caring for your health. And, you know, I mean, you're spreading some of that responsibility. And, and that's what the team wants as well. Um, so I think there, there are a lot of um, members of the care team who, have felt completely um, empowered by giving them information and allowing them to take that next step or that next best, next best action for a patient when historically, you know, for, for one reason or another, either they, they didn't have um, the insights in front of them or they weren't empowered to do that. Great advice. Um, Jake, you mentioned something about large organizations versus smaller organizations earlier. And I want to dig in because there was a lot dedicated to that in the um, in the research report. Organizations with less than a thousand hospital beds are more likely to face resistance from clinicians and analysts in adopting new workflow sol solutions, while decision makers are more likely to report inaccurate data. Organizations with less than 1.1 billion in revenue are also more likely to face resistance from leadership. 
So how can organizations with less resources or maybe those who are new to analytics and have a limited budget, how can they overcome this resistance? And Jake, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'll say it's a fewfold. Again, margin for error is smaller. And if you picture a small hospital that is not part of a system, uh, there's, there's going to be less capacity, less room, less resourcing to be available to, to even roll out an analytics solution, let alone uh, gain that adoption. So that, that's a challenge that's going to exist. Uh, there are opportunities for partnerships in those cases to try and band together with some other independent hospitals and see if you can invest together. That's, that's one thought that comes to mind. Um, additionally, again, that 1.1 billion in revenue line, same concept. The less capital you have available to invest, the less opportunity you have to uh, potentially lose. Lastly, I'll just say it's about how close you are uh, to, to the patient care probably impacts how willing you are to change workflows. So if you're in the hospital every day and you are managing a small number, relatively small number of employees, trying to do, um, trying to manage a full hospital without that outside resourcing, without centralized operations in a different level, it's it makes things more challenging when you're trying to push change or even adopt change. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, I mean, maybe not the best person to, um, to talk about um, how really small organizations overcome this, uh, given the size of, of auction or that I kind of talked about a little bit at, at the beginning, but I'll double down on, on the point Jake made. I mean, um, the partnerships piece is, um, it, it is really a, a solution for a lot of smaller um, hospitals. And, um, and certainly we have a number of, um, of smaller organizations in our clinically integrated network who I think recognize the importance of, um, of you know, embracing value-based care, um, recognize the importance of the data and the analytics and the tools required to be successful in that environment, but didn't have, you know, um, the, the resources or couldn't prioritize those resources on their own. And, and so that partnership, um, you know, in, in the network that we've built has really helped to facilitate that. Um, you know, and, but then the other piece that I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of the, the theme that, that I've been maybe a little bit beating a drum on today is, is really um, painting that picture around the risk of not changing. And, and that, that, that is a greater than the perceived risk of investing and making a change. Um, when you have a little bit uh, lower, smaller margin of error. And then again, healthcare resources, I mean, even more critical for smaller organizations. So, um, you know, if you have tools and data and information that can help to empower that, that workforce that's so critical to you, then, you know, that, that, um, that's hard to argue with from a, uh, as an executive from a priority perspective. So one, one more question here before we get to the audience questions, and there's a lot of good questions coming in. Um, you know, so far today, we've talked about making sure that we aggregate quality data, that we have tools in place to analyze the data, that we're empowering stakeholders across an organization to act on insights provided by these tools. But what all of that does together is, is kind of unlocks this potential for automation for workflow efficiencies, for uh, just efficiencies in general across the organization, and ultimately patient outcomes, as you mentioned earlier, Eric. 
Um, but let's let's cast our vision forward a little bit. There's a lot going on right now with innovation in AI, with uh, generative AI, all of these different things that have the potential to transform the way we deliver care. Um, AI ML was reported to be the least implemented technology today, though it was the highest priority within the next two years. Um, Jake, I'll start with you. How is AI going to accelerate workflow and other efficiencies and change the way we deliver healthcare? Yeah, it's there's a time horizon here that's really important because I think uh, I actually read a quote recently, and I don't know who to attribute it to, so I'll just say it and say it's not for me. But we do tend to uh, over expect from new data and, and tech innovations in the short term, and under uh, expect from them in the future. So I think. From, in, from like a workflow, direct patient outcomes perspective, I think it'll still be a little while before AI is fully baked into the systems. And I think there's always going to need to be a human element. But I do think in the, in the short, medium term, there's going to be ideally an optimization and identification of patients for certain types of uh, outcomes and interventions. And that is what already exists today. If you think about a care management stratification list where we can identify for you you know, out of 10,000 patients, here's the 100 that should get clinical review for a care management program. Uh, over over time, I think AI will be embedded more in almost everything we do. So I think in the future, you know, already I'm seeing efficiencies in my own work just from being able to use AI to help with certain tasks. And I think in healthcare, weirdly, I believe AI in the short term is going to have more of an impact on productivity of individuals, the ability to take notes faster, the ability to write patient emails faster, before it actually directly does some of the things that people tend to think about, which is like change the way that, or automate decision-making within a patient. I think that's a, a little bit further out. Yeah. Eric, I, you, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the priority comes around looking for ways to reduce the burden on the care teams, uh, maximize their time for those really, you know, high value functions and decisions. Um, so, you know, again, it's an empowerment tool. I think automation and AI helps empower our workforce, but but also just, you know, from my perspective, you know, I, I know that I don't have enough care coordinators and case managers or ED navigators, community health workers for the number of patients that we are accountable for. So, you know, I'm prioritizing AI to make the best use of those limited resources that we have for the most vulnerable and impactable patients, you know, with the right interventions or the right support at the right place in the right time. And, um, you know, I, I, I think there are, there are, again, there is this, uh, as Jake said, you know, the maybe an over, I can't remember how you framed it, but like an over expectation in the short term and then an under expectation in the long term. And there is this mystification around it. But um, again, the idea of, of small improvements uh, today uh, it can be really meaningful. Um, you know, I think I just saw a, a uh, Harvard study quoted um, around um, using generative AI in message responses to patients. And um, there was a, it really it was trying to, 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 to see how the quality of the message and, and how accurate it was. And it was sort of like the generative AI was definitely lower accuracy than the physician. But I think what one of the unintended things that they found through this study was that 
the messages written by generative AI were rated as four times more empathic or empathetic than the messages written by the physicians. And that because that's because the physicians don't have the time to sit there and write the flowery, you know, all these things about, you know, thanking you for your question and yada, yada. Um, and so how can we combine those two things? The quality of the, the, the decision and the advice and the, the, the um, you know, the, those high value functions is much more important um, from our healthcare professionals, but there are tools that we can combine. It's not one or the other, right? It's how do we take these two things to be complementary so that we have a better product and a better outcome for our consumers. I, I love that thought. I, I saw that story too. And um, to boil it down, AI can make us more human is what you're saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, okay. So I want to jump in and just answer maybe two or three of these audience questions. We're not going to get to them all today, but I'll disseminate the questions and hopefully we can answer them all afterwards. Um, first up, what are your thoughts on the ROI for data platforms? Like, how do you how do you go about thinking about that when you're thinking about making an investment in in data? Jake, do you have any thoughts around this? Yeah, I've actually done that analysis before. Um, so the the thoughts I have in general is, you don't always know everything you're going to be able to do with a data platform, but you can try and at least understand how much time are you spending wrangling data, processing data, how much money are you spending wrangling data, processing data that you can hand off, and then accelerate your own teams to do what they need to do with that data. So that's one piece is trying to understand those costs. And by the removal of those costs, that's part of your returns. After that, my next kind of thought and recommendation is make sure you have a few tight strategic initiatives on what you want to do with the data platform year one and year two, and then try and model that out. So if you know that having this data in the right place is going to allow you to increase uh, coding, accur um, you know, coding accuracy by 2%. What is that worth to you? What is it worth to you if you can reduce or sniff length of stay by one day? Trying to build some of those clear use cases can allow you to build that first step and help you understand, you know, this is the revenue I can achieve with specific initiatives in mind, knowing that over time you're going to create more value for yourself by, um, as Eric said before, kind of getting ahead of the curve there. Eric, anything yeah, I'm, to add? I'm not, I mean, Jake, I'm not sure I have anything more to add to that. I, I just, I, I agree. I mean, I think we, you know, we looked at, um, at the, the savings from being able to sunset, um, working in multiple different tools and across multiple different systems when, when moving to a single data platform. And so there was that, you know, that cost savings side, and then, you know, made exactly that business case around, um, you know, the, coding and documentation improvements that would lead to, you know, uh, higher premium revenue uh, in, you know, Medicare Advantage populations uh, paired with, you know, ability to reduce utilization of those same populations, thereby generating, you know, a greater margin um, in your, your medical expense ratio. So, I, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think that's, it. that's how you do it. Eric, I think this next question is a good one for you. Um, as a, this person saying, as a community-based health system, we're slowly changing the culture to value-based care, but so many of our performance measures are reliant on the patient rather than the physician. 
So the question is, how much of a strategic focus needs to be applied to patient engagement or touch points in the scope of care management? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I think embrace that, um, that mindset of it's, you know, it's, it's the patient that's not compliant. Um, and that's the challenge we're, we're, we're relying on them. And that's where I go back to sort of broadening the aperture of your accountability um, and, and feeling like, you know, um, that engagement and that empowerment of, uh, of patients is, is part of your accountability um, as an organization, not, you know, not, not necessarily personally. So that's, that's part of that, that culture shift as well. Um, you know, recognizing that um, there are a lot of things that are beyond your control, but but maybe you can form an alliance with your community and with your government and with your education system, and uh, I mean, and start to have an impact on that. I think you you have to think big like that, and you have to embrace that um, that accountability um, if you're ever going to you know feel like you can change that. And then I think we have time for one more and then I'm gonna wrap things up. Um, this person was asking if you all could speak to the role and importance of governance in healthcare analytics, especially across disparate organizations. So Eric, I see you shaking your head. Maybe you wanna start here and then Jake, if you have anything to add. Yeah, I mean, really critical, really important. I think it comes, you know, to through the, the, the focus really in, in the, the approach around that or the thinking, the framing is really, in my mind, kind of a combination of education, technology, and process. So, you know, again, educating a, um, a broad audience around um, the importance, the uses, appropriate, inappropriate, um, combined with, you know, technology that allows you to, to sort of manage that governance around access and permissions uh, along with process controls um, that, cause you'll never be able to, to sort of control for all of that um, within your teams. Eric said it perfectly. I got nothing to add, it's critical, but. All right, so real fun. quick, final thoughts, like uh, people who are looking to take the next steps and prepare for the next five, 10 years, what do they need to do today? Like what's the one thing they need to focus on? You can focus on a lot of the areas and fail in a lot of areas and hopefully succeed in one, but like, what do you think is the most important thing that they uh, need to do to succeed in the next five years with employing data, employing a data platform to really get better results for their providers, their patients and their organizations? Jake? Yeah, from my perspective, just the biggest thing is have a strategy, have a plan. You can change that plan, fail fast still, but try and avoid chasing every request and jumping at every opportunity that may pop up because uh, that can distract you from where you want to be in the future. And, and there's a cost associated with that. And Eric? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to connect the dots that data and analytics tools empower your care teams, um, which is what's best for your patients and, and has you know, the wonderful benefit of creating a stronger organization as well. Well, I know we're a couple minutes over. I appreciate everyone who stuck around a little bit longer. This was a really insightful, interesting discussion. I feel like I learned a lot. So thank you, Jake. Thank you, Eric, for your time. Um, and we really appreciate all of you who tuned in today, shared your personal insights. 
uh, ask questions. Uh, really excited to see all the engagement. There's a video series called Unlocking Big Data that was by Hims TV, and that also kind of covered some of the, the talking points from today. Um, and then there's some more information about Arcadia and uh, Oxner as well. So check, check out all that stuff. Thank you for tuning in today. Um, join us next month. You can go to arcadia.io slash vitals to see all the episodes we have, watch on-demand recordings, and sign up for notifications for new episodes. So Jake, Eric, once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Mike. See you all next time.